When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what is becoming for him. That's how our first lesson begins, and how timely and timeless those words are. How often have we convinced ourselves that the world of the Bible is strange and remote, with little to say to us in our enlightened modern world? It's a tempting form of self-deception to think that, because it gives us an excuse to ignore God and his word, and like Israel, to make gods for ourselves and of ourselves. The truth is that God's word is about people like us and for people like us, despite the time and distance that separate us from the people in the Bible. It's so tempting to set up idols in place of God. And there's no lack of them ready to take us captive and enslave us. Money, power, sex, food, attention, drugs, and our own wills. We're continually tempted to make gods of these things, even good things. That's why in Lent we give up a good thing that we enjoy. We intentionally abstain lest we forget that the Lord is our portion and our provider, lest we serve his gifts instead of him. One reason we give offerings of money, as it is fitting to remember on this Pledge Sunday, is to prevent money from getting too strong a grip on us. Tithing and other offerings also remind us that we and all that we have belong to God, who has made us stewards of his resources. The temptation to act as gods unto ourselves is why we pray every Sunday, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because left to ourselves, we would revise that to my kingdom come, my will be done in heaven, just as I try to make it so on earth. The homepage of Messiah's website greets visitors with the question, tired of being your own God? That's because Israel's problem in today's first lesson is still ours today. The old Adam within us, our sinful nature, is unable and unwilling to trust God. It's the Holy Spirit that through God's word enables us and makes us willing to trust God. And living in a fallen world plagued by sin does not make it easy. Terrorist attacks, earthquakes, lies, Broken promises, the pervasiveness of suffering and death, and our own sinful desires all cause us to ask, as Israel did, 
Is the Lord among us or not? And when God seems not to be addressing our problems the way we like Him to, we find ourselves wondering if perhaps God doesn't really exist, or maybe He's forgotten us or just doesn't care. If you've had those thoughts, know that they're quite natural and common. You are not an uncommon sinner. Instead of trying to rid yourself of them, look to Christ. Steep yourself in God's Word. Pray for the Holy Spirit to displace doubt and cynicism and fill you with Himself instead. Setting our minds on what is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. As Philippians 4 tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. When the state of the world doesn't give us much reason to rejoice, we can rejoice in that the Lord is near. How timely and timeless is today's epistle lesson for inhabitants of a fallen and anxious world. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't write that because he thought that there was nothing worth worrying about but precisely because he had so much to worry about. Like if and how he was going to get out of prison, which he was in when he wrote Philippians, and what his future would hold under an emperor like Nero. So Paul doesn't write these words to the Philippians because he's naive or a Pollyanna, but because he knows that the Lord is near, which is reason for hope, joy, and peace even amid the world's troubles. Today's Gospel lesson continues the parables we've heard Jesus tell about the Kingdom of Heaven over the past several weeks. In today's parable, many of those invited to the wedding feast don't turn up. They stay away because they have other priorities. And one of the guests who does turn up is thrown out for violating the dress code. The wedding robe that Jesus talks about in his parable can be thought of as the robe of righteousness that God gives us in holy baptism. Without it, God condemns us for our sin. Clothed in it, he declares us righteous and heirs of eternal life in his kingdom. Dressed in that robe, we are deemed worthy to attend God's party and participate in his kingdom. But the no-one-can-make-me-wear-a-wedding-robe attitude is strong within us. We chafe at the idea of having to meet standards set by people other than ourselves. 
as one who was compelled to wear a school uniform for many years and who has never enjoyed dressing up, I can identify with the underdressed wedding guest as well as with the people who didn't turn up at all, possibly because they did not want to dress the part either. The old Adam in us does not want to belong to God or to be subject to him. We prefer to be our own God, except, of course, for the responsibility that that would entail. And yet, clothed as we are in Christ, with the robe of God's own righteousness, for Jesus' sake, God forgives us our attempts to declare independence from him and to put other gods in his place. God forgives our doubts and our despair at the state of the world, even though he has redeemed us, delivered us from sin and death, and promised us everlasting life with him. Thanks be to that true and living God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who perseveres with us as he did with Israel in the wilderness, and whose nearness gives peace, joy, and hope to sinners, even in a fallen world.